coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. And most of the time when we think about influence, we think about it in the context of persuasion because that's most of the content that's out there. Mm -hmm. But if I have true influence, you do things without me asking you to. And what's the one reason you're going to do something for me without me asking you to? It's going to make your life better. Yeah. It's going to make you look cool. So very, very often we spend too much time when we're trying to come up with something, focusing on like how we're going to make it cool, look cool and make ourselves look cool. But we don't focus enough time on how is this going to make somebody else look cool when they share it. Yeah. But even if you have both of those things, you will still be in trouble if people can't actually remember the idea and the concept so the way i like to break it down is if you want people to remember you more you focus on less and that's language emotion simplicity and structure Ah, so language starts out because if you have your own language for things basically you have carved out a piece of mental real estate for people Mm-hmm. right? They, they will attribute that word to you, that idea to you. And this is the reason why we study Shakespeare and very, very few of us ever study Christopher Marlowe because Shakespeare added new words to the English language. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Michael Roderick, who is the CEO of Small Pond Enterprises. So I'm sure everyone knows that I'm a big fan of uh, frameworks, and you know it, it just creates the ability to be able to take a complicated task or a complicated problem and breaking it down into chunks that are more... Uh, achievable or more understandable and when you can understand something you can obviously obviously solve it so today Michael and I go into his process that he uses for many different types of industries to be able to create a, a framework that allows you to extract communication that other people will be able to understand immediately as to what it is that you do or what you are about. So it's really about you know communicating your message in a way that people can pretty well immediately understand what it is. And again, we get into some of the specific frameworks and exercises that he takes his clientele through to be able to extract whatever those messages are. So really, really informative, in-depth dive into that process uh, today. So if you're struggling with any type of, I guess, miscommunication or misunderstanding as to what it is that you do, today's episode of Past the Secret Sauce is one that you're going to certainly want to tune into. So I hope you enjoy Michael Roderick on Pass the Secret Sauce. It was my mom, my dad, me, my uh, my younger sister, Jenny, and it was usually like, let's kind of 
get to eating as soon as possible so that we can all go on with the things that yeah, <laughs> we've got what going on yeah exactly yeah. uh that, that that we've got uh that that we've got next uh so yeah so it was always kind of like a very very quick you know sort of stop in the day if you uh if you will when i sort of when i start to kind of think back to to what it was like yeah yeah very cool so did you have any like entrepreneurial tendencies growing up or were you uh, exposed to entrepreneurialism or anything like that a little bit i uh, i collected comic books and okay. you know there there was a lot of there was a lot of like buying and selling and stuff that happened kind of in that sort of collectible world mm -hmm. but i would say i probably didn't start doing anything entrepreneurial till probably about high school and in okay. high school i had an idea to do a fundraiser for our school's uh, English department. So I actually put together a whole uh, Battle of the Bands evening with my oh, band cool. at the time. We had we were the we were the headliners, and yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And that was kind of the first I, I would say probably my first foray into doing uh, anything entrepreneurial. Yeah, what, what kind of music did you guys play? Uh, so it was very much a mix so we had some songs that were kind of like rage against the machine-esque where okay. there was a lot of like you know rapping kind of, you know kinds of sounds but we also had a couple that were very much in that sort of alternative kind of sounded like nirvana yeah. type of sound as well love it it's my generation love love that music it's great. yeah so what uh, so so did you go to school did you go to college did you did you yep. do that part of it yeah, I uh, I got my uh, I, for undergrad. I did a double major, so I was secondary at English and theater performance. Uh, so I studied first to be uh, an English teacher at the secondary level, the high school level, and I also did a theater, a full theater performance major. So I actually ended up doing what they call the victory lap, where I, because I double majored, even with, you know, overloading credits, I still had uh, an additional year <laughs> that I had to just sort of like rack up all the credits and get everything that I needed to, uh, needed to graduate. Very cool. Very cool. So what, after you graduated, what was, you know, your next step? Did you go into the corporate world? Were you, or did you jump right into starting your own companies? What did that next step look like? So it was going into the world of teaching, actually. I got a call from a friend of mine and he was teaching at an all boys Catholic high school on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And I also got a call uh, from a friend of mine who uh, had told me that my old high school was hiring, <laughs> was, was hiring. So I applied for both. I took a trip to New York and, and you know, interviewed with LaSalle, which was the school that I taught at. And then I also interviewed with my old high school. And I got offered both jobs on the same day. I was, I was directing a show <laughs> and I had a, an intermission for the show that I was directing. And I checked both of my voicemails and one was my old high school saying, we'd love to have you in for the final sort of round of interviews and LaSalle here in New York. And I basically sort of, I talked to a bunch of my friends about, well, what do I do, you know? And a number of them said, you know, well, here in Rhode Island, you're a big fish in a small pond. You know, yeah. everybody knows you. You can sort of do whatever you want. So, you know, in New York, you're probably not going to know a lot of people. So I decided, you know what? 
that's fine with me. I'm just going to go for it. And I left Rhode Island to get a teaching job here in the city starting in 2002 in a school on the Lower East Side. So my sophomores, who were my first group, were freshmen the prior year and were there on the basically on the highest level of the school during 9-11. Yeah, so wow. it was fascinating to just kind of see the the difference in just how what their experience was i actually i was uh when i was in grad school i did a number of theater projects and one of those projects was an ethnodrama where i interviewed my students about their experiences of 9-11 i called it nine students 11 questions and we had them sort of present their stories and we did a whole big performance uh, performance of it Wow, that's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. So out of college, when when was the first time when you really started your first company? Was it was it the one that you're in now or did you have a couple of other things that you went through first? I had a couple of other ventures. I had Small Pond Entertainment before I had Small Pond Enterprises and Small Pond Entertainment was basically just a theater company. So mm-hmm. I I was still teaching high school and I basically just started raising money for sort of smaller projects. So the 25,000, you know, budgets that you usually have for like a a 99 seat and under theater uh, or a project of, you know, a project of that nature. So uh, I learned while that was all going on, I was in grad school that a lot of the students at NYU, they had donors who were willing to help them fund the projects, but they didn't necessarily have anybody who could help them actually run the projects, right? Yeah, yeah. So I sort of jumped in and and I ran Small Bond Entertainment for a number of years, basically on more of the sort of helping them produce, sort of being that general manager, if you will, of, of theater productions and projects. And it wasn't until after I had sort of gotten to the Broadway producer level that a lot of people started asking me, how did you do this? And that's really what led to the, the second aspect of the business, which really was in the relationship building space. So mm-hmm. I was just asked all the time, how did you get to these, you know, sort of next levels? And I would host these workshops where I would simulate networking experiences. So to have people act out everything from one-on-one meetings to job interviews to cocktail parties, uh, ran a conference for a number of years called ConnectorCon, where I brought connectors together from all sorts of different industries. So there was a whole stint of time where I was more in sort of like a, it was almost like an events business uh, kind of thing. I even hosted a, for a couple of years, I even hosted a scavenger hunt that was all over New York City uh, that was combined with a networking event. Very cool. Very cool. So, so when did you start Small Pond uh, Enterprises and what, what, what prompted you to, to start that? Yeah, so Small Pond Enterprises really came from the fact that I was giving lots of advice to people and I was just like always just kind of meeting with them and just sort of helping them and, you know, they'd ask me to go out for coffee or whatnot. And eventually I sort of hit this point where people were like, I would pay you to give me this advice. Like if you could, you know, sort of do this, like I would, you know, I would pay you to coach me or sort of work with me on this. So that's when I really started to kind of figure out, oh, okay, there's, there are models out there that you can do this kind of, that you can do this kind of work. So I started to study more of the marketing side of things, more of the copywriting side of things, really started to learn 
all the things that you learn about building a permission base, selling to that permission base, you know, all of those, all of those early stage, you know, elements that uh, you start with when you're developing a coaching business. Very cool. Very cool. So, so who is your, your target type person that you typically are, you know, consulting or, or advising? Yeah. So these days it's very different. It started out where it was mostly people in the networking space, but probably about four years ago, I noticed that that space was starting to not only get very crowded, but also get very sketchy. There were just a lot of people trying to sell people on this idea that, you know, if you pay me X amount of dollars, I'll teach you how to meet famous people and then you'll be rich was sort of the the general sort of thing. So I was like, I didn't want to be part of that world. So I had a moment where I said, okay, if I took networking out of the equation, what still got me into all the rooms that I got into. And I realized it was because people would talk about me when I wasn't in the room in a good way. Mm -hmm. So I was teaching one of my workshops and I took 15 minutes for a theory. And I basically said, I have a theory that if you can become more referable, if you can create a referable brand for yourself, that that will start to kind of do the work for you. And people will just start coming to you. People will trust your work more. You'll be able to just attract the audience that you want to attract. And I gave, you know, a couple of ideas of, of ways that I thought somebody could do this. So I get to the end of that workshop and I ask everybody what they want their hot seats to be on. And everybody says referable brand. Okay. So I shifted gears and I started to focus on helping thoughtful givers become thought leaders. So usually people are very good at giving and supporting and doing things for their clients are the ones who are the most likely to deprioritize the packaging of their intellectual property. They never sit down and come up with what is their innovative framework. Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. You know, they, they know their why, but they don't know their if. Yeah. Right, their innovative framework, their thing that they can present to people and sort of you know make that happen. So I uh, now come in as sort of a mix between Malcolm Gladwell and Don Draper for these folks uh, and help them move into thought leadership. I help them package those ideas. I help them figure out where they're going to focus, how they're going to focus. And most of the work I end up doing is with other uh, folks in the coaching and consulting space. But I've certainly over the years had some people in the startup world, some people in the tech world, you know, all the different, all the different places. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so what is your, what is your, your teaching, your training look like? Is it is it, you know, a bunch of frameworks or is there software involved or how, how do you deliver, you know, that, that message or that, 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 
training, I guess. Sure, sure. So there are main frameworks that I have that I use, and then I sort of have a bunch of other things that are kind of almost like a toolbox when people are struggling with certain certain issues. So the main framework of referability focuses around the idea of accessibility, influence, and memory. Easy to remember because it spells the word aim. Right. So the first the first thing that you always have to think about if you want your idea to be referable is, is it accessible? Can people outside of your industry understand what you're talking about? Or are you in what I like to refer to as the echo chamber of the enlightened? Yeah. Everybody's sort of patting themselves on the back and saying, that's great, but they don't actually understand. You know, they, they all understand what's going on, but everybody on the outside is like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. So that's yeah. usually your first hurdle. But your second hurdle is influence. And most of the time when we think about influence, we think about it in the context of persuasion because that's most of the content that's out there. Mm -hmm. But if I have true influence, you do things without me asking you to. And what's the one reason you're going to do something for me without me asking you to? It's going to make your life better. Yeah. It's going to make you look cool. So very, very often we spend too much time when we're trying to come up with something, focusing on like how we're going to make it cool, look cool and make ourselves look cool, but we don't focus enough time on how is this going to make somebody else look cool when they share it. Yeah. But even if you have both of those things, you will still be in trouble if people can't actually remember the idea and the concept. So the way I like to break it down is if you want people to remember you more, you focus on less and that's language, emotion, simplicity, and structure. Uh, So language starts out because if you have your own language for things, basically you have carved out a piece of mental real estate for people, mm-hmm. right? They, they will attribute that word to you, that idea to you. And this is the reason why we study Shakespeare and very, very few of us ever study Christopher Marlowe because Shakespeare added new words to the English language, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Emotion. Whenever we're in heightened states of emotion, our brains become like a sponge, so we actually remember more detail. And this is one of the core reasons why you'll see any number of TED Talks or presentations open with some kind of emotional story, some personal story of the individual, because our brains basically then become wired. We're in that emotional state. We're ready to hear whatever the concept is. We're ready to hear whatever the idea is. And the simplest way I can explain this is you ask anybody what the opening scenes are of Titanic and nobody can tell you. Yeah. But you ask that same group of people, which image comes into their head when you say, I'll never let go. Yeah. And they can instantly yeah. tell you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. They can see it right away. Yeah. Uh, so, so then you have simplicity. And over the years, academics has always rewarded complexity. When we were in school, it was the best thing to write the biggest papers, to use the biggest words. And that carries over so often into our marketing. We try to sort of impress people with all the big words we use, with all the big things we say. But the memory rewards simplicity because there's only so much information that people can hold. So you have to think about how are you gonna make this so simple that somebody else can share it and talk about it? And that leads to the last point, which is structure. Our brains process information if it's in a structure, if something comes first, second, last, like that's what we look for, 
right? So if you don't give people a structure to understand the information, they are far less likely to remember it and they're far less likely to share it because we don't want to look awkward in front of our friends. We don't want to say like, I think this comes first, but then I think this thing comes second, but maybe this is the other thing. We want to look competent, comp competent and confident, right? In our explanations of concepts. So what I often will do with clients is I'll take a look at each of these aspects in their life and I have a bunch of frameworks to help them sort of assess like where their accessibility is, what's happening on the influence side, what's happening on the memory side and will reshape or reposition particular offering that they have or just develop one of these innovative frameworks for them. Okay. So what what types of results have you seen people get after going through, you know, your frameworks or your your exercises? Yeah, so it really, uh, as with a lot of these types of things, it varies based on their goals and sort of what they're what they're working on. But I've had instances where people have been selling something for a few hundred dollars and been able to sell that exact same thing for a few thousand. Wow. And it's mainly because they've repositioned it, the language is different, and there is something that they've developed that people can trust, right? They can yeah. trust that they're going to go through a process. So they tend to invest more as a result of that. I've also seen instances where when different clients have used these frameworks that they've developed on things like podcasts or other interview scenarios, they get asked by other people <laughs> to be on their show or they get, they get approached more often because those ideas are sort of stuck in the, you know, in the memory. And then I would say probably the most important thing is the, they could be in an industry where there's tons of other people also working in that same industry and offering the same thing, but they almost never get asked about how are you better than this person or that person because they have such a specific thing yeah. that they do that the other person just is either really attracted to it or you know, doesn't feel it's a fit and, you know, moves on. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of a self-filtration process there, if you will. So yeah. interesting. So, so, I mean, obviously we're on a podcast right now. I'm curious, is there anything that we can go into like, you know, quickly where, I don't know, I, I, I feel strange like using past the secret sauce, yeah. but you know, is there anything that sort of comes to mind that, that we can sort of talk through as to, you know, maybe this is wrong or, or, and again, we could use past the secret sauce or any of your clients that come to mind. I'm just, sure. I'm just curious to be able to extract sort of the, you know, that that shift in a in a real world scenario as to, you know, it was this and then it turned into this. To, just to give an example of, you know, that sure, transformation. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, we can look at. So first, we we would say, okay, from the standpoint of past the secret sauce, let's just start with accessibility. Do you feel like people understand the concept of the show, what the show is, you know, what the show is doing? Do people get it sort of right away? So I, I think that they do, like everybody, everybody is attracted to that because, you know, you, you hear the secret sauce over and over, like I want the secret sauce, right? So the, the concept is there, but they may not necessarily understand what context the secret sauce is giving, you know, mm -hmm. or what, what, what you know, what is the secret sauce that I'm consuming? Everybody sort of understands, okay, I'm going to get some type of 
secret, you know, or some type of information, but it, I may not necessarily understand what that information is pertaining to or, or mm. what have you. So. so, so what may be happening is that you've got a attention grabbing title, mm -hmm. right? You have something that can sort of get people to be like, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's interesting. But once they're kind of interested, the question is, where is the value for me? Right? So what yeah. is the subtitle of the show that causes somebody to say, oh, this is totally for me. This yeah. is what, you know, this, you know, this applies to. And when we see that subtitle, a lot of the time it helps us understand, oh, this show is going to help me with this, you know, this show is going to help me figure out this problem or this challenge, et cetera. So the first question would be, do you have a subtitle? Yeah, I really, I, that's, that's true. I don't have a subtitle. We, we have the description, which you have to go, essentially, I think it's on the, you know, show number one, you know, that, that was launched a year ago now. Mm -hmm. So nobody really goes back, you know, all the way through, you know, they're just going to see whatever the new episodes are. So the, the titles of each one of the episodes sort of give that away, you know, because each one of the titles is, you know, obviously catered to whatever the topic might be. So you can kind of get an idea as to what, you know, what I'm going to learn in this particular episode. And obviously all the episodes are all sort of all over the place, but entrepreneurialism is sort of the core, you know, the core, uh, core concept or core idea behind it. Yeah. So ultimately what you want to do, if you're going to, if let's say you're going to try to come up with a subtitle, right, mm -hmm. is to think about what the show is doing for people. I call it giving yourself an F. Right. So most of the time what we do is we try to sort of explain to people what we do. And the best way to get their interest is to talk about what we do for. Right. Okay. So what you would do is you would look at the show and say, what does this show do for the entrepreneur? Yeah. Yeah. And then you'd start to craft a subtitle or a piece of language that talks about what that actually is. Right. So it would be, you know, a podcast for, you know, the podcast for entrepreneurs who want to blank. Yep. Right. Yep. And one of the best ways to, uh, again, strip this of the jargon, right? Because it's very easy to start throwing in a bunch of, you know, uh, random words and, and making it very bold, like, you know, just overloading it is to ask a couple of very simple questions. So easiest one is you want to do at least one of these three things otherwise you'll be sad in your business okay. and okay. that's solve a problem alleviate pain or decrease friction okay so you want to ask how does this show solve a problem for okay. the entrepreneur how does it get rid of a pain that they're experiencing and then finally how does it take something that normally takes a long time and shorten that cycle yeah right i like make that. it so that there's less friction thank you like that, um, the other aspect of it is every single person no matter who you're meeting no matter who you're talking with has uh an index i call it the tcm index and that's an index of time connections and money okay there's always a deficit in one of them for people and usually the way to solve the problem is examining the other two 
So if you've got a deficit in money, it's directly tied to how you're spending your time and who you're connecting with. If you have a deficit in the types of connections that you want, it's directly tied to how you're spending your time and how you're spending your money. And if you have a deficit in time, it is directly tied to who you're interacting with and how who you're hiring or who you're getting to do the work that you don't really need to be doing. Yeah. Right? So the thing is, with your show, you can ask this question of, how am I solving a problem for the entrepreneur in terms of time? How am I solving a problem for the entrepreneur in terms of their connections? How am I solving a problem for the entrepreneur in terms of money? And you can do the same thing with alleviating pain and decreasing friction. And you end up with about, I call it the jargon grid. You end up with about nine different ways to describe what it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, now you got a whole bunch of descriptions. So now you just can start to look at, okay, well, which of these descriptions is really compelling? And then you can create a sentence based on that description. Very cool. Wow. That's, that's amazing. I love that. You, you, you mentioned, so, so I also have a technology company too, and you mentioned, you know, the, the one framework that kind of reminded me of something that we do when we're trying to extract how people are, are using their systems currently. So that is essentially you, you, you say as the blank, I should blank so that I can blank. So mm-hmm. as the secretary, I should be able to look up the past clients so that I can answer the phone, uh, you know, phone conversations when they're coming, calling in, asking about their account or something like that, you know, so yep. you just fill in that blank and, you know, then you have in our case, the feature request, but but it's kind of it's kind of very much so the same type of philosophy where you 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 know just use those frameworks to be able to fill in those blanks and and come up with uh, you know the exact same exact same outcomes. I, I love exactly. that. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that is great. So all of the different acronyms and all of that. Did you yep. have you have you you know put all these together yourself and realized yes. all these over the years? Wow. Yeah. Wow, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, after, after a while, what happens, and I've talked about this before, patterns are always the precursor to frameworks. Mm-hmm. So when you start to notice something happening over and over and over again, after a while, you start to say, okay, what would be an easy way to explain this? What would be an easy way to break this down so that I'm not just saying the same thing over and over and over again? So eventually you sort of hit this point where you're just like, oh, well, it would spell this word or, oh, you can use this metaphor to sort of translate the idea and sort of get people to, you know, get people to understand it. And a lot of the time, one of the best ways to do this kind of work is to test it in front of other audiences, right? Uh, I, I often refer to it as the playing the small clubs model, right? So comedians, who are really, really great at their craft, go yeah. to the clubs that are small and early and starting out and they test jokes and they see like which ones really kill. And yeah. then they go and they do their big set, you know, at the larger, you know, at the larger thing. Well, it's the same thing for thought leadership. It's like you go and do interviews, you have conversations and you look at like, when do people say, wow, that was really interesting or, oh, that was so useful or oh, that was so helpful. And then you say, you know what? I'm going to keep that, you know, or you say something, and you get complete crickets, you say, okay, that's not really, you know, that doesn't really work. So I'm going to just like table that and maybe try a different, you know, a different version of it. Uh, I love that. I love that. That is great. What, what is, are there any industries, would you say that your frameworks are better suited for than others? Or is this pretty well, you know, is this pretty well open to, you know, any industry? Yeah, I would say, 
referability and this main sort of overall framework really does end up fitting in any industry. I, I, I have often looked at, you know, where have people been really successful and sort of which titles or ideas have sort of just like really blown up. And when I look back at each of them, it's like, I can trace these elements, right? You can see sort of these things in the, you know, in these particular stories. So I don't think that there's any specific industry that's like, oh, this works way better. Yeah. Uh, I think it's more about the nuances of the industry and sort of where they lean. Like some industries are gonna spend way more time on accessibility. And other industries are going to be spending way more time on influence and other industries are going to be spending way more time on memory because they've figured out, you know, that particular problem or that particular, you know, that particular issue. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. If, if people want to learn more about you or your products, your services, where would you say is the best way to, uh, to reach out and get in touch? Yeah, so my website is just smallpondenterprises.com. They can kind of see some of, the, some of the stuff I've got there. But there's also, if they go to myreferabilityrater.com, there's basically a test you can take to see how referable you are. So you, okay. can look, you can actually answer a bunch of questions about your accessibility, about your influence, about your memory, and it'll give you a breakdown, basically a score, you know, in that, in that regard. So if folks are really curious about that, they can go to myreferabilityrater.com. And then I'm all over the place on the socials. You know, if you, if you search me, you'll, you'll, you'll find me for sure. <laughs> I, I, I like the referability. So, so does, has technology played a big role in, in your company, would you say, or even your, you know, referral or, or uh, uh, consulting business? As a, as a, I would say it's not like a massive role, but it definitely has it. It it, it definitely has enhanced it, right? Yeah. So, I write a daily email. So I write Monday through Friday, and you know a lot of the time, you know the the technology that's out there, you know that you know tracks where people link to and like all of that yeah. kind of stuff yeah. is enormously helpful you know, in that, in, in that world and the whole aspect of having a funnel and, you know, sort of knowing like, this is when somebody clicked on this or where this thing went, like that kind of stuff is really, really great. I am a big fan of technology myself. I love looking at sort of how do we make things easier, right? How do we make yeah. things, you know, simpler? So I definitely am one of those people, like I, my email, I, I use superhuman and like, you know, I love the whole sort of like keystroke and like being, you know, very, very simple, right? Like very, very, very clean. So yeah, I'm always looking at like, what are those new technologies or interesting things that are out there for sure? Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Michael, this has been really, really incredible. I'm going to go back and, you know, doodle down some of these, some of these exercises myself and, and go through, you know, what my thoughts are. Actually, I guess it's another question. I mean, I'm assuming that you do this sort of one-on-one -on -one with people, but can this also be done in, you know, a group setting where, you know, you're kind of bouncing ideas off of one another and, and doing it in more of a, a workshop type setting, I guess you can say? Yes. Yeah. I've done a number of workshops before where either what I'll do is, let's say you have like a sales team or a biz dev team, you will take something like the jargon grid and it'll be a discussion about, okay, well, what is the company actually doing for everybody? And then yeah. like, what language are we using? you know, how are we going to describe this or how are we going to talk, you know, how are we going to talk about this? 
Um, and in some cases, you know, you have uh, individuals on a team and it's about like, well, which things do you want to own versus which things do other people not want to own? So when you really break down all the different ways that you're serving, you may be like, oh, okay, you're going to be the person who's going to really kind of beat this drum and you're going to be the person who's going to beat that drum. And you can, you can really do a lot when you do it in a group and sort of bring in all of those different thoughts and different ideas yeah. for sure. Cool, cool. Well, last question too. So you've, you've named two companies, you know, Small Pond something. Where did the yes. Small Pond come from? With it really this? came from that uh, Rhode Island conversation. Because when my friends had said, you know, here you're a big fish in a small pond, nobody's going to know you. I said, I'm going to go to New York and create my own small pond. And that's ah. what I did. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Michael, this has been fantastic. I certainly appreciate the time. Yeah. And, uh, I think you provided a hell of a lot of value today with uh, you know, with all the frameworks and explanations and all that. So this is going to be a good episode. Certainly awesome. appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.